This week on Reengage, we talk DD Robot Buddy Pictures, Bosom Buddies, and Silicon Based Liquid Mediums. This week on Reengage, we talk DD Robot Buddies, Bosom Buddies, and Silicon Based Liquid Mediums. This week on Reengage, we talk DD Robot Buddies, Buddy Jimmy, Pictures, Jimmy, Jimmy, snap out of it, snap out of it. Thank you, Mike. I haven't been stuck in a temporal show intro loop in a while. <sighs> Welcome to Reengage, where we watch TNG, a show we loved when we were younger. Now, Reengage episode by episode to see if it holds up to older eyes. <sighs> I gotta take a break here. Let's say hello to our Reengage bridge crew, uh, Miss Kate. How you do? Wow, Jimmy, that was amazing. The the choreography that went with that too was just incredible. Uh, I wish everyone could have seen it. It was it was quite remarkable. I do live with ballerinas. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great. I I think uh, that some of Jimmy's physicality there might have competed in the old World Take Championships from the date. They had a, a skit that was about the World Championships of double and triple takes. <laughs> I just have to say they had a sketch. A skit is what you do uh, at uh, uh, at scout camp. A sketch <laughs> is what they did. I apologize tearfully and with great regret, my friend Kate. Greg, how you doing? I am doing good. I can't wait to see the origin of Jimmy's very loud laughing take as always a crowd pleaser. And I think Brent Spiner doesn't do as good of a job that you do. Oh. Wow, that's quite a compliment there. Wow. Let's jump right into this then. Uh, this week we are talking about Season 3, Episode 13, Deja Q, Stardate 43539.1, which was an air date of the week of February 5th, 1990. Greg, what was happening in the world around this this uh, era well in february in the world the communist party in the ussr voted to allow you know maybe some other political parties we don't we don't have a, a complete lockdown on political parties in russia anymore we got we let other people in like half communists and not communists <laughs> nope nope sorry we'll call the whole thing off. <laughs> yes exactly so that was february 7th yet another nail in the coffin of the end of that but on february 8th a few days after this aired everyone's friend 60 minutes commentator andy rooney was suspended by cbs uh for racial remarks that he made uh and it was not the first time mr rooney put his foot in his mouth and it wouldn't be the last i was corrected on the skit thing i think i'm going to take a second to say racist i believe is the word you're looking for with mr andy rooney that is that is correct i it's oh that mother it's sure it's sure hard to to be mad at someone who was so consistently befuddled about the very basics of interpersonal communication. But, you know, worth calling him racist when he was. True that. And he, over, you know, a few decades as things shifted in the 80s and 90s, made sure to piss off, uh, you know, black people, Native Americans, baseball players, <laughs> Kurt Cobain's suicide, like basically everything he ended up, uh, you know, making a, a big fool of himself on in discussing. But this was one of his many suspensions, and it led to, I think, hopefully a change in his behavior. Ah. No, not so much. But one fun thing did happen on February 6th, the day after this was aired. Uh, the ground was broken for the new Baltimore Orioles ballpark 
Camden Yards, which is now known as it's known as Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But this was a groundbreaking in many ways because it started this whole idea of building retro styled ballparks that weren't necessarily super huge for baseball playing, but they could really milk it with better food and, uh, you know, more amenities for players instead of uh, for, for audience members instead of when I was a kid, like going to Fenway <laughs> Park and just, you know, the bathroom was essentially an open cesspool that you just peed in and it didn't matter. Uh, they changed all that and it really started with with Camden Yards. That's a beautiful park. I got to go there about 10 years after this. Used to be my uh, my, my go-to the most actually when I lived in New York because I couldn't afford uh, Red Sox tickets in Fenway. And so we would go to Baltimore each summer to watch the Red Sox play there because it was the only affordable way to do it. Very cool. All right, Kate, what was happening uh, music-wise? Well, Jimmy, it was, uh, it was a dead week. Nothing happened. It was terrible. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> no music the week of February 5th, 1990. It was people. still Michael Bolton, How Am I Supposed to Live Without You, Driving with Daisy, uh, nothing new to report. I'm done. <laughs> All right. So uh, our director of this episode is Les Landau. Uh, he has a lot of uh, Star Trek, Trekverse credits. Nine credits for Voyager, 14 for DS9. He had one for the Enterprise in 22 with TNG. Other credits were Charmed, Dark Angel, and probably most notably 90210. Mm. So he was all over the place. Uh, and our writer was <laughs> Richard Dannis. Uh, he has a mix of credits. So um, uh, largely he was a story by, so uh, he pitched the idea in a lot of story editing. So before we crack open our long list of guest stars, let's do our Nemesis files uh, while I still have breath. Uh, so not too many here. The bridge scene at the very end, the mariachi scene actually was shot from between 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. on Thanksgiving Eve. And then the opening scene we'll get to when we actually open the episode scene. And this was the original script here was was going to be a war between the, 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 the Klingons and the Federation at the brink of war, of course, caused by Q, who would come in at the last moment and save the day. So he was feigning losing his powers and then just so that he could be the savior of the Federation. Uh, it was Roddenberry's idea to maybe scratch that part and actually go with a god being brought down a peg and having to live a life as a human for a while. And so our writers went with that take instead. And uh, if anybody has spent or if you've spent any amount of time on Memory Alpha, you come across the little nugget that Corbin Burnson didn't do this to be a fan, but really just to be a part of the legacy of Star Trek in its humanistic outlook, which is cool that he at least came clean that, you know, doesn't really watch a show, but he knows it's a big deal was to be a part of it. So those are the Nemesic files. Eric, walk us through our guest stars for this week. Well, I'm very quickly going to talk about two basic co-stars, Richard Cancino as Dr. Garin and Betty Ramoto as the scientist next to him. Uh, they had interesting careers. Betty didn't do much beyond this. This was one of her very last things. And uh, Richard has a very prolific career as a voice actor. And we'll move to our three big guest stars. We've talked at length about the brilliance of John DeLancey and Whoopi Goldberg, both of whom have stellar, long-ass careers on stage and television. Whoopi, of course, a movie star equaled by very few in the history of Hollywood. And then we need to talk at length 
about Mr. Corbin Burnson, who was uncredited at the time. Yes. Because everybody fucking knew who he was. One year before this, he was the sexy one in the baseball comedy Major League, which was a huge hit at the box office, mm. uh, beloved of Gen Xers and boomers alike. He was on television starting about right now in L.A. Law, which went for many long seasons as one of the top TV shows in the country. It was funny. It had heart. And it is being rebooted as we speak with Mr. Blair Underwood. I cannot help but absolutely be certain Mr. Corbin Burnson will be back in that role as well. I suggest you all check out The Dentist and any of the other 250-odd credits he has on IMDb. My goodness, the man is royalty on stage, on screen, on film. What are your uh, memories about Corbin Burnson, y'all? I mean, I go straight to Psych, of course, as kind of the second thing we all know him from. What else? Well, you took Psych, so thanks. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. So uh, that that's where I go immediately. Absolutely. And and Henry is one of the great characters in television history. He's so good. Uh, La Law would be the big one for me. And, uh, of course, the baseball show. Dorn. what's this Olay shit Um, I love those fucking movies at this point in my career watching Star Trek where this is nice to kind of watch these individually because I mix up the very few recurring characters there are like Lore and Q and I I mix up their entire arc and I never know which episode is going to get to which so I wasn't sure this was Corbin's episode until we got to him well, let's crack it open then. We start with the teaser and we have the Enterprise arriving at Brielle 4 to help with the room problems. And we've all had those. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. The lunar problems. Yeah. <laughs> the crew hears a big sound and from out of nowhere, Q shows up floating in the air naked. And this comes to uh, the Nemesic file note that uh, we skipped over. They actually tried to find every way they could not to uh, to film this where he wasn't actually naked, and they couldn't do it. So he had to do it in the buff because it. What? They have the technology to make you think a spaceship is flying through outer space, but they can't make a man float naked. They don't have a pair of socks. Like I... <laughs> they didn't have it. Maybe they didn't have big enough socks. I don't know. Uh, so uh, he had to really do it. He falls out of the air and impishly looks up at Picard and says, red alert. <laughs> Kate, what did you think about this opening? Well, there's so much to see, right? Because first you see these aliens and it's such an intriguing design. Mm-hmm. And then the more I looked at it, the more I was like, her mouth is an asshole. Uh, and could not stop thinking about the fact that her mouth was an asshole. And that quite clearly they had to like redo their lines because they could not speak through those masks. Like it was very apparent. So there was that thought. Uh, and then a naked a naked John Delancey. So it was maybe the most exciting opening we've had. 
Oh, uh, why couldn't they have been named the Anasaurs or something? <laughs> that is so amazing. <laughs> Guys, anything different there? I mean, did, did you love this? Was it just okay? I mean, you know, th- this scene had always stuck with me from the first time I saw it. You know, I was waiting for Q's arrival and exactly the way it happened. And it, it's just, it's nice. It's well done. And I remember the uh advertisements for this right like because they had gotten to a point where star trek was a bit more popular and then they were knew that q was this recurring character that was popular and fan service so you know going in everybody knew this was going to be a q episode because of the promos and i just remember getting to that moment and then it's that's that almost impish red alert it's a little (laughs) it's a little too campy but it sets the tone for this entire episode which is in that realm pretty much throughout whenever Q is on screen and uh, I really dug it. But I do remember being excited as a nine-year-old and getting, you know, really, really into watching this movie, this, uh, this episode with my family and then actually having my mom be the person who is the most intrigued by, by Q. I, mm, now I'm I starting to realizing there's, there's <laughs> maybe some narcissism uh, that, you know, sees narcissism there. <laughs> Don't worry. She doesn't listen. You guys. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no family drama people don't worry i love you craig i love you <laughs> yeah it was a lot of fun and i love that we're getting a different look at q because we've seen him i think this is like the fifth time now that uh he's been on four, maybe four so we're getting a different side here we go cracking open scene one q is trying to explain himself he is fully clothed now uh with some cute little ankle boots which turns out to be that's the the q uniform i guess well and it's a well cut uh pair of trousers <laughs> yeah, yeah. i have to say like it is well done you see everything the ship taylor doesn't really have a lot of opportunities <laughs> to meet someone new and clothe them appropriately <laughs> Uh, so Q says that he has been stripped of all his powers and that uh, when he was put before the species buffet of all the species in the universe, he could choose only one. He chose to be human because in all of the worlds, there's just John Luke who can count as his friend. And the crew isn't buying it. How about you guys? <laughs> the reaction to that line is uh, used on uh, social media as the facepalm from Picard. I think it's actually usually in reverse, <laughs> right? You usually see it in reverse. But I was like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where this is from. It's from this episode because <laughs> yeah. he looks up at, at Q and being like, what? I'm your only friend? Oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's delightful. You know, all the way through, right from you guys have uh, described it as impish, that first moment where he says red alert. And because he has that reputation with us of this camp and and uh, sense of humor and larger than life quality, he gets to raise the kind of performance stakes of the whole rest of the cast for the whole rest of the episode. The juicy shit that he pulls in this and that that lets Corbin Burnson pull. Mm-hmm. The fact of Q lets everybody stretch and have have a good time. And it's uh, obvious right away in Picard's physicality. Yeah, and we don't get too far before we get a good wharf line, right? Because he, <laughs> he asks, what can I do to prove myself? And very deadpan, wharf says, you could die. Die. Mm-hmm. Which die. is very practical because if you die, don't <laughs> come back. We now know that he was telling the truth. So well done, Mr. Worf. Riker thought it was funny, too. I love how Riker like laughs at the line. He's like, hey, good one, buddy. <laughs> 
Picard thinks the best thing to do is uh, send him off to the brig because they just got that new set and, you know, sure, shit, they got to use it. And Q has his first ever nap. And he looks so adorable just snuggled up on the, <laughs> the end with uh, a mysterious light coming in and scanning Q. We don't know much about that alien race yet, but uh, I didn't think of this until you mentioned it, Jimmy, where he gets tested by almost every single character in different ways throughout this, right? And we'll get to to what happens to him in 10 forward, but you are right in that, like, I, I can think of at least four to five different characters who try to be like, eh, is this real? And they all come away with the same conclusion that somehow it is real. With this new alien race that comes up there, this gaseous cloud that we see, right? Do you think this is the first time that uh, a Hollywood show uh, at least an independent one like this has been able to find it production wise more easy or cheaper or more interesting and worth doing create this entire alien mythos with special effects and not cast any people or use any uh, creature effects makers or costume people or this but but rely so heavily on just the effects department because hmm. they they weren't able to do that with things like Buck Rogers or you know the sci-fi stuff that came before this, it feels new to me. Do you think it's different than a crystalline entity? The effect is more naturalistic and interesting than than crystalline entity in that it doesn't have to be kind of recognizably geometric the way crystalline entity had to be, and I think that was a a choice that utilized the easy technology of the time. I, I just think that this is leaps and bounds better than that. And I think it marked a shift in Hollywood. At least in budgeting for this, they were like, well, Corbin Burnson is this much money. And <laughs> another race of people is this much money. I, we can't do it all. And on the practical end, or not the practical end, the sort of science fiction end, it's, it's badass because we get to it see, is. you know, something that like we get to see his reach right that he reaches so far that he's reached these creatures that we've never even fucking heard about that are on this uh, totally other like plane of existence and i don't know i just think it's fucking cool yeah and they are advanced enough to know almost immediately that he's lost his powers and exactly where he is right right because it's very shortly after he arrives on the enterprise that they give the initial scan and he's not there for more than a couple hours right it seems maybe a day before they start really uh, imposing their will on him, which we'll get to. So, I mean, these guys are uh, a super advanced race. They can do some shit. I did like how science fiction-wise they were just like, we we can't interpret their language. We have no idea. But we know it's human. Or it's, it's intelligent. Really easy to be like, all right, we just know that they're hostile and that's it. Of course, we don't know that yet. When Kate was talking about these folks being badass, that's kind of exactly where I went with it. Like, you never find out any nuance of anything they want except the death of this being that that we've come to know as Q, right? right. And and I agree, Kate. It's just it's wonderful to see uh, you know them show up, and none of our questions are ever Can answered. I just point out too that when the light comes to rest on Q. There's a dude who fucking watches it happen. Whatever. And never tells anyone. <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. He, wa- he like, looks at he just it. just looks. He <laughs> totally, like, just, like, watches its passing, watches where it settles down, and then turns away from the 
laughing like, what's the end of my shift? <laughs> More space dust. It's all. Seen it a bunch of times here on the Enterprise. I feel like we, we made a vow to pay attention to that shit after the last time a disembodied light floated through right. the halls of the Enterprise. <laughs> right. We're lucky. We're lucky Q didn't end up pregnant. That's right. <laughs> we could have had like a, a Dana DeVito, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's twin situation happening right. here. Junior. Junior. Right. Junior. Junior. Right. It was junior. Yeah. It was the non-official sequel to twins. Yes. We we gotta head back to Braille for. Let's get that. Oh, damn it. <laughs> so act two Gesundheit. sees us with <laughs> with um Q and Picard talking. Picard still thinks that Q definitely has everything to do with Braille's moon being all wacky. He has these new sensations and he doesn't know quite how to describe, which I thought was kind of fun, where he describes uh suddenly feeling weak and no longer being able to stand. I love how how dismissive Picard is of that. Yeah. You'll get used to it. <laughs> it's it's such a, uh, what is that, Maslow hierarchy of needs type thing where Q is just really understanding for the first time what it means to be human based on like sleep, thirst, hunger. hunger. Right. It's so, it's so interesting and so great that they're like, oh, here's a god who wouldn't have to deal with any of these things. Right. Uh, and now must deal with the mundanity of that. Q doesn't have to put up a huge argument either. Every other interaction they've had with this guy has been pretty horrific, including introducing a world-devouring species that will forever hunt down the human race. <laughs> and it's, you know, some mild protestations between the two. And he's like, okay, go to engineering and see what you can do. What did you guys think about that little exchange? And in the specifically Picard, you know, releasing him to engineering. I kind of categorize that whole thing that you're talking about as one of the strings that foundationally supports the franchise. And if I pull on it, everything <laughs> falls apart. Fair. Like Picard is fair. responsible for tens of thousands of deaths since the beginning of the first episode of the first season. We like his his decisions, but they're not always great. Nope. nope. I'm, I'm fine with him making this decision. I think if you get the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and if your enemy is a big fucking moon, then, you know, why the fuck not? Also a good point. All right. I stand corrected. <laughs> and it sets up, it sets up, you know, that when Q has been a hunter before, he's been a foil for Riker in the past. He's been maybe a foil for Guinan in the previous episode. And then this one, it's very much set up. All right. You and Data are going to have a relationship over the course of this episode. And... What better way to do that than to just be like, hey, you have to watch after Q for the entire time. And uh, that ending line with, with Data being there and being like, you have achieved in disgrace what I have always wanted to be. Fuck you. Let's go. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's so great. Well, and we get a little bit, uh, I mean, just before that, uh, there's a great line with Q where he offhandedly suggests, and I wrote it down, uh, to change the gravitational con uh, constant of the universe, thereby altering the mass of the moon, proving that deities are, in fact, assholes. Because that's a jerk thing to say <laughs> to some people trying to figure it out. But it actually does lead Jordy in a direction that may have uh, may help solve this problem with the gravitational moon without using magic, and that's where uh, Q has some back pains. Oh! And they call for for Doctor Crusher who comes. Is like this is a classic case of back spasms. You know that <laughs> moment is so fucking classic where he's like, oh, oh, and they're like, uh, what's that? Do you see? And and he just like it goes. You do. You think he's see? I. Like, I did not remember the gag there. Yeah. That he has just hurt his back. 
Like it's not until he gets three quarters of the way through that sentence that you know he's talking about physical pain. And it's such a great gag. Yeah. It's been done millions of yeah. times. And in this particular case, I think it's flawless. That first part of Act 2 ends with uh, a new pain being discovered, a hunger pangs, which means we're off to 10 forward. I had never pieced this together until they did the scan on this episode where the light's coming in later on. To, you know, it, later in this scene, it's coming through and Warp is saying, it's penetrating. It's a deck nine, deck 10, forward. Uh, and I had never pieced together that was just a location of the ship and not, you know, just a, a fun, shippy kind of name for a bar. Jimmy, me too. I see you. I see you and I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like my grandma. That's where they got the title of the movie. <laughs> there goes Chappie. That's why they call it that. That's why the bar is called that. Being the first time that Key was ever eaten, he gets 10 chocolate sundaes. Well, that's because Counselor Troy being a woman. You know, uh, women women be liking their chocolate. They love their oh chocolate. Oh my god. I know. I had a moment. <laughs> I had a moment before we get there when they ordered the sundaes. This random person comes up, and I wrote in all caps, where the fuck is Guinan? Because uh, I was so pissed right. that we were going to have yet another 10 forward and one with Q with no Guinan. This is a bullshit. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have to wait long. But I didn't wait long. I I, I wrote, there is Guinan. I was just going to say, I, almost as like the producers or the writers were like, we have to have these two interact again. Right. And it's the only scene they do, right? It's the only scene yeah. that Guinan appears in, She's right? She doesn't one. do anything mm -hmm. else. It just gets to be there and stab John Delancey in, in, in the arm. Right. With my favorite fork. Those forks. Those are the forks. Yeah. The beta zoid forks. I was so excited. It was my favorite fork. I bet you can get those. Like you were saying, Greg, yeah, there are a lot of tests here. Guinan's test is to grab that fork and just drill it into his hand, man. And she's got her great line. Seems pretty human to me. <laughs> and that's when Q escapes away, rejecting his Sundays because he's now lost his appetite. And the calamarian species jumps onto the ship, this big, beautiful, undulating, gaseous light that Eric had talked about. And they start delivering some comeuppance. And if you're new to the podcast, I enjoy comeuppance. I was just going to say, it's it, it, Calum, Cal, Mon Calamari is Star Wars. <laughs> yes. These are Calamarain. Very different. It's accent <clears throat> on the end. Oh, my God. It is. I see the eye now. <laughs> also, I just ordered Calamari from Tide. So I'm going to have that when we're done. And I love that, that first we just see the entity, right? And nobody knows what's happening, but Guinan does and immediately knows who it is, which is, again on the sci-fi spectrum so badass because of course you would have encountered these species that right. we wouldn't have before i want to know more about uh, from Eliza pearls our former guests you know backstory of what's going on with guinan and right. all coming in true in picard season two right now there's just so many connections yeah so let's uh well let's dive into that so we see q get he does the ants in his pants he's uh he's being yes. tortured and he's screaming for help, and there's this brilliant shot uh, from Q's perspective going up to Guinan. She's just looking down on him. She has the line, the mighty have fallen. I thought a great shot. I, I think it's a really great uh, cinematographer echo to the previous shot, which was when uh, he says, I'm not hungry. It's him in the foreground as well, and then you see 
the poor uh, 10 forward attendants <laughs> trying to serve 10 Sundays, Sundays that they had just just replicated out of the replicator. Oh, man, food service sucks even, even in the 21st century. <laughs> but I, I thought it was a nice echo of like here, he, him giving, you know, not eating those Sundays and then the same thing here he is in pain and not having any type of response or getting any succor from, from 10 forward. I will say as, as a many decades food worker that unclaimed Sundays are the best because unclaimed some days cannot be recycled in any way shape or form but can only be eaten quickly by the food staff right yummy they're okay with it thank you q (laughs) there's a counselor troy in the background being like (laughs) (laughs) i love that scene because it because it's it's two titans in a fight right like that scene before is what do you do when you have two you know you know, formerly omnipotent or, or, you know, at least um, who knows what Guinan's right. uh, extent is, but it's like seeing, you know, one Titan standing over another. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Now here's my one thing I want to throw out there. It, it, it's my one disappointment maybe in the whole episode. And it's just that this is the last interaction, real interaction we ever get between Guinan and Q. We don't get to see this relationship go further. We don't get to see any more slow divulging of information of the history that these two have and who she is. And boy, I, I want so much more of it in in the way that they were doing this with little bits, just little like one liners here and there that form more of a picture and they just abandon it. Well, with this new kind of studio system that exists now with the streaming, IP being so huge and everywhere and there being seven Star Trek series, if he had introduced these characters at a time like that instead of one, you'd have gotten your spinoff. Like right. they were so popular. It's just that economy didn't have room for 30 sci-fi things at once right. the way there are now. Yep. But yeah, I agree. That's what I want. Yeah. Because <laughs> all the other, you know, the subsequent Q episodes in this series, as well as the subsequent Guinan episodes, yeah, it is sad that they don't ever intersect again. It's just right. these two. Right. But I mean, mm-hmm. just to throw us off track completely, that, and to contradict myself, I'm so disappointed it's not there, but there's the other side is like, but that's where it's uh, lead me wanting more where that's where I got so hugely disappointed with book of Boba Fett. Like the more I knew about Boba Fett, the less I liked him. And not because it was just like, I liked you when I didn't know you. And I didn't know that Mm -hmm. until I got to know you. And now I wish I didn't know you. Uh, And maybe like with them never going that far, it's like, it's not ruined. It's still pure. Like, the, yeah. it's you know the imagination You're oversaturated yeah, yeah. It's that that great book that's in your mind as long as it stays there it's always great you don't have yeah. to ruin it by actually writing it <laughs> well and there's something to be said for a great guest star character right like, perhaps you couldn't have an entire series around q and guinan because well, how many stories can you tell about omniscient god they're already running out with ones where like oh we'll take away his powers and then we'll have, have a story uh, about him uh right and so i think they're they're they work better as these one-offs and uh foils to to set up our main characters and having to have their dilemmas be be shown like you said eric you're probably right uh we may it may get ruined for us and i'll be there for every second of it absolutely <laughs> so act three we jump into and we finally get to our meeting which star trek next generation would not be complete without uh, a meeting in the episode here it's uh, about 20 minutes in before we get our first one and it's all the usual suspects data points out that q still 
uh, has a lot of usefulness in maybe solving this moon problem because he's already put forward a good idea, and that pisses Troy off a little bit. I wasn't sure that was the anger that Troy oh, was showing. It seemed playful. It was. Yeah, I didn't. It was. I didn't. I, di- I no? didn't. <laughs> you didn't get it? Okay. I thought it was just an observation. I thought it was more fascination. Like, oh. Like, because of all of the people who would not stand up for him. Didn't you know, see that. It would be the one. I don't know. I'm. I lost my. I agree with you, Kate. Okay. And then even and even Data tries to pull it back. He's like, No, no, no. I didn't say he was cool. I just was making an observation of fact that he did help us. Maybe she do- is being a bit of a mean girl there. You're right. Like, oh, are you eating lunch with him now? Interesting. <laughs> Data's like, no, he's just tall. I'm just saying he's, <laughs> he's tall. Just, he's tall. They head back over to engineering, and Q thinks because it's been pointed out that he was helpful, that now he's the boss of everything. At least boss God, of the moon. Project. And uh, he's a little pissy about um, Jordy telling him what to do. And Q says, who does he think he is? Data says, he believes he is your commander. And he would be right in that assumption. <laughs> Which, again. It's so good. Just uh, right to the point. Statement of fact. Without malice, but like you're, I just put you in your place. Uh, it's like my, uh, like Ella would say is, ooh, you got exposed. <laughs> can i just say how much i love how salty he is about having to only get to work the manual controls and he's yeah. such a big fucking baby about Sweet. it and it pre- and it sort of precedes my favorite one of my favorite cinematic moments ever which is paul rudd in wet hot american summer when he has to pick <laughs> up his sausage and eggs and he's so fucking grumpy about it but this precedes that and it's just this wonderful like oh I'm a, so smart. <laughs> What's the readout? 218. <sighs> Whatever. It's so great. But I, I love that coming into engineering where he's like clapping his hands. All right, this is what we're going to do. Everybody listen to me. And you're like, you motherfucker. You think, you know, just because uh, Picard gave you a pass that you're in charge now. It's so good. I love I've met I've met people like that who are like you get one compliment or something like that or you know something you're like, "Oh, so this is my project now. Here we go. <laughs> We're going to do it all now." And you're like, mm, that's I have this thing that I call walkie-talkie syndrome and it's just whenever you give a volunteer a walkie-talkie, yes. they suddenly turn from being like, "Tell me what to do" to being like, "I've got the communication." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> headsets too headsets. anybody oh, who wears a yeah. headset backstage headset. closing out this uh, act I'm going to try to say it the Calamarines oh. show up and nearly succeed in pulling Q out of the hole of the ship right but the buddy picture Data saves him and uh, takes a pounding like they both they both get uh, uh, shot to the ground and Data is out cold Along with Q. I love that he fell down robotically on his side. The thing is, Data's right arm is one solid piece of gold. <laughs> and so when he falls, he just, it is, it just is the weight of that arm that moves him onto his side every time, like a weeble wobble. There you go. You didn't know that. That's canon, people. I want to know what the end game was in the lifting of Q, because I don't think it changed his molecular structure to where he could have gone through the structure itself. It was just like a magnet that was like, he ate a a tummy full of like lead pellets. Yeah. Were they going to rip him through? His shoes were going to go through his head. It was just going to like, like a gummy bear that gets squished. Bounding (laughs) here and there and everywhere. 
Yeah. They were going to hurt everybody just to hurt him, right? I mean, right. these guys are pissed. So we go into Act 4. It opens up in sickbay, of course. This is the, the sickbay scene that was great, though, because the Star Trek drinking game, whenever you see the inside of Data with his little LED lights, you got to take a drink, right? Yeah. I, I was very excited to see it. <laughs> Data's looking worse for wear, uh, but Q is up and about. Like, he's pretty tough little human. I mean, he's only had that skin for a couple days, but... Didn't seem to affect him as badly. And I love the reaction of the crew when they're like, uh, Crusher's like saying, uh, you know, I, this, if he was mortal, it would have it would have killed Data, you know? Right. And well, I survived. Everything's <laughs> right? fine. Which is a great, and a great like, oh, line. I mean, that is Thank totally you. like out of Curb Your Enthusiasm or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? I mean, I'm human and uh, I'm, you know, I'm fine. I'm going to go for a walk. So I don't know what the big deal is here. <laughs> Too much for Picard, who, you know, he doesn't want to hear anymore. His friend is laying here hurting. So he scolds Q uh, for not being appreciative of what Data did, willing to sacrifice himself uh, to to help him. And Q, you know, goes up to him and tells him, you know, being human is uh, is not what you think it is, but... You're actually a way better better human than I would ever be. So, I mean, there's one little sign here is like, it's not, and I'm sorry, but it's, it is a definitely an acknowledgement of what humanity is and how far away from it he is. And he does see what uh, Data has done and sort of the worth of Data. And I like it, not because it's a, a great sentiment, but it's true to this character, right? They didn't, yeah. it didn't just wash away. Uh, it's something that Eric and I used to talk about a lot when bad guys were trying to be given this redemptive arc. Is he redeemed now? Is this enough? Given what he's done, is he redeemed? And this was a one of those, like, he, he's not trying to be redeemed. <laughs> he's he's being who he is. And that was kind of refreshing that I thought that they they stuck to that. And I like that uh, in the in-between scene with Picard that Picard doesn't give him anything. Like, I think it's so great that he's like, I'm not your father confessor. Yes. I'm not like yes. here to absolve you of anything. You're an asshole. You're yeah. always going to be an asshole in my eyes. And then he just sips the tea. I know. I love that, Kate, right? Just drinking that tea just for days. Little yeah. pinky in the air. Like, don't care. And any member of Picard's crew, if he had seen him, uh, the, the language that, that Q is using is very strongly like, you get someone help when they're saying things like that, right? Like it definitely kind of hits him right. You know, I was like, oh, he's 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 contemplating ending his life here. You can kind of tell. And Picard doesn't care. He's just like, nope, see you later. It's really nice that the show as a whole doesn't treat him as a character that is heading towards like nobility or heading towards even anti-hero status. He will remain a villain. And I, I don't feel like it's ever seriously considered any other way but that it is nice when a villain has moments of not being able to come up with a, a clever response or a way to win or you know these other things it's it's nice to watch q get punished whether or not he's going to be redeemed mm. so and that was that whole last scene that 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 sort of ends act four he heads to one of the shuttle bays and he gets into a shuttle and takes off and i think maybe kate we're going to the same direction i'll let you take it i just after all of this time and the number of shuttles that they have lost the fact that it is that fucking easy <laughs> 
to go in and get a shuttle is just, I mean, like, what is happening? I mean, the keys were left in it. Right. I mean, we know what happens from time to time, having watched Lower Decks now. And, right. like, there is that manual release where you can just lift it up. Like, shouldn't there be a, like, oh, if there's no one there, then at least, like, a little silent alarm that goes off when somebody goes in. And then they ask who is... Uh, piloting it rather than use their fancy sensors in any way, shape, or form. It's just, will you please tell me who you are, sir or madam, whoever is driving this thing that apparently is easy to steal. <laughs> right, and everybody knows how to drive a shuttle uh, in the future. Picard pauses a moment before he tries to come up with a way to address who is inside. He's like, shuttle occupant. That's... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's the best English to use here, Jean-Luc. Uh, yeah, so Q is heading out because he knows the Calamarain will not quit until they get to him, and he's uh, endangering the crew of the Enterprise. So he's getting away from them, letting the Calamarain have him at a safe distance. The Enterprise realized it's a suicide mission. They try several things to try and save him. Nothing is working. The ship has mysteriously shut down. And lo and behold, we get a little Arnie Becker. Oh. <laughs> I love that up. when Picard says... Uh, beam him back. Everyone has this moment of like, are you fucking kidding? And he says, it's a good shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. But yes, Corbin Burnson, like that's fucking huge. And I did a, like, I was like, that can't be him. Is that him? It's him. It's him. And then I was like, honey, is that really him? And he said, yes, he has hair. That's why you're confused. It's just so awesome to see him. Like he, two kind of big men, big preening peacock type actors, both in their prime, large people in a small space, and both somehow managed to look comfortable and not give up much ground except strategically. And they look like they've known each other forever, but they don't trust each other. Like it's, it's really terrific acting all the way through this scene. Yeah. And I love the costuming that they put him in the exact same outfit. Cause it, it was like he was making fun of Q1 <laughs> like, mm-hmm. with the boots and everything. <laughs> he was like, this is ridiculous. Well, and he even says, he's like, oh, this color is dreadful. And oh, right. That's Q's right. like, I know, isn't it? It's awful. <laughs> and I love that cattiness of it. Uh, yeah. And this is where it goes full camp for me. Like the way Corbin Burnson plays this other Q as almost more over the top in his delivery is just so great. Like you didn't, I, like I have no, this is the first time we get to see other Q and, and, and how they interact with each other. And I didn't think it was going to be like this because of him getting he get kicked out. You thought there was like, oh, he's a bad actor amongst a more noble race. Nope. They're no. just all. He was just annoying deities. one Q, which is amazing. One other Q could take another Q's power or is Q2 just higher up? Like they don't ever say he was just like listen i'm tired of going around the galaxy and uh haven't apologized for you like i'm showing up the places because i like the bar and they're like dude what's up (laughs) the guy was just here and like we got a whole planet of people with their noses on the back of their head now Uh, (laughs) he was was wearing the same ugly green uniform you were wearing (laughs) right and so he takes his power away one cue which they don't find out until this scene that he's like, ah, oh, I was the one who did that right. to you. And he's like, wait, I thought you had my back. I love that whole back and forth. The only thing I, d- it, the, the hands bit where he's like, oh, I don't understand what hands are. 
looking at his hands while he's delivering his lines. He does it, I think, a little too long. I think right. I I noticed it too, but I like it because I got into his head a little bit, and I'm like, it's not that he's figuring what hands are; it's that he's never seen them with human eyes. Do you know what I mean? He's he's never embodied this. So like, it's not just the i mean the act of being on stage and noticing your hands you do you do kind of go like oh this is what it is to have hands uh so i kind of thought it was super interesting for an actor to make that choice there's so many actors that literally like that bit in 30 rock where jack has to have a, a coffee mug in each hand like if you're not holding a prop so many actors have no idea what to do with those hands. Right. I always take a moment like that as kind of a nod to other actors as kind of a fun bit. And isn't that what Andreas Katzela said he liked? Because in those scenes where it's just his his shoulders and head, he didn't have to worry about what his hands were doing. Yep. Just give me that talking head, man. And if you watch him on Babylon 5, like he has these long dress robes that you basically never see his arms move either it's super interesting he's really good at playing one-armed men (laughs) (laughs) i have a friend who swears that the worst thing you can do to an actor and it's true is right before they go on stage say i really like what you do with your hands in this scene that is ruthless (laughs) we have a little fun back and forth with q1 and 2 and q2 is like hey I can't go back to the continuum and say just before you died, you actually had showed an act of mercy, showed some redemptive quality. Uh, it, they're just going to bust my balls. They'll, they'll never stop asking questions. It'll be hundreds of years of hassle for me. So I'm going to give you your powers back. You're back in the continuum. You know, if you can take it away that easy, you don't really have to go very far as a writer to come up with a reason why you would give it back just as easy. Q is impish about, you know, he's he's actually a little arrogant. He knows what he did. Even though he's, it seems like he's going to go through with it, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's admirable and redemptive, and, you know, it should give him some applause, which I kind of love that choice. Yeah, there's no redemption for a psychopath, you know? Picard's a pet that that he enjoys. It's a really interesting experience to try and give yourself up nobly. You've seen people be treated and fated for it. You know, it's a super interesting thing that they never give him that that full redemption track. I'm grateful for it. Maybe they are in Picard. They end this episode. I I see that we're talking about future episodes, which is true, but they do end this episode with him Right giving one last benevolent well two last benevolent acts but are they well they save lives but you know it's manipulating picard one of them is for sure like you know i mean who knows maybe by the the tides not taking over on that planet something else horrible happened but you know it is it is a mm. a, a gift that he gives to his favorite pet right and yes and seeing and picard then reacts with maybe he has a touch of humanity right. in him which a wonderful tool for Q to now have in his pocket, having planted that seed of doubt. Right. And he was going to torture the Calamarines. Let's not forget. Uh, immediately, he brings them back. They're now these tiny things, <laughs> which maybe be, and that's what he did, was he made them all this little, little thing, and they were big. And then, you know, Q2 is like, uh-uh. So he doesn't do it. So he was going to slip right back into it. He does save the moon. 
the moon doesn't crash in, so that's one nice thing. Bring in a mariachi band. I mean, that's fun. Mariachi is a is a great way to celebrate. That was our bosom buddies that I had mentioned earlier. Were those the bosom buddies you were talking about? Because there were some bosom buddies yeah. that were brought onto the bridge who were quite buxom. <laughs> you were buxom. Where and then and then Q has that breaking fourth wall line too, where he's like, "You liked this more when you had a beard, right? Or when you didn't have a beard." <laughs> right. In reference to season one, but Riker being a little bit. You weren't so stolid. Yeah. He says, Do you remember what Riker said? I don't need your fantasy women. I don't need your fantasy women. <laughs> Liar. With all the contempt he can We've come. seen your heart With. porn. We have seen it. <laughs> we have. And I Q have has seen it too. Fantasy women. That mariachi band, though, it is just laugh out loud funny. The fact that this entire episode, it's all about him trying to wrestle with uh humanity and all this stuff and then the first thing he does is just be like like blow it all out to the nine it's yeah i laughed each time i watched this the fact that he's got the trumpet up in the air it's delightful uh but picard is having none of it he doesn't want to celebrate with q so q makes it all go away and uh a little fuck you He's uh, left in his uh, his captain's uniform, which is if he came back in an admiral's uniform, it would just be like, ha funny. Coming back in a captain's uniform is like, uh, I could take it all from you, dude. <laughs> like, it's as easy as that again. I find it. I, sorry, I just wanted. I forgot that the moment he gets his powers back, the first thing he does is put that uniform on, mm-hmm. which isn't. Which is interesting because there's nobody there to see it. That's for him. Oh, that's right. That's right. In the shuttle. That's right. And it did like point to like how he does have yeah. some sort of uh, like how it. he kept asking for that uniform and no one would give it for him. And the moment he could get it for himself, that's what he did. That's a good point. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. Thanks. I'm done now. I think he does have uh, an affinity for humans, which he says throughout. Definitely fascinate him and, and they energize him and he he does crave the approval of this one and data is a endless source of fascination for him. It's it's neat. It's just I like that he stays a villain. Yes. yes. And it ends with a short musing by Picard that perhaps he's found uh, a bit of humanity. The cigar pops back into Picard's hand and in the puff of smoke, uh, we see Q's head. Don't bet on. That's the right Bugs Bunny shit to end it on. Like, that's fucking great. Yeah, we know. We know that Q has always been Q. You know, he had this one moment of feeling humanity, but it has not changed uh, his inner core. And that is our re-engage, re-watch episode. Eric, what did you think about this? What do you give it? I think I'm going to give it eight and a half calamarians. Uh, is- <laughs> From the first time, eight and a half calamarians with cocktail dip. Definitely, right. uh, I love this episode. It's it's fantastic. You know, I don't give it higher just because I I like to figure out what I'm giving it in the moment, and I landed on eight and a half, which seems high. It's wonderful. I have no complaints. I get to see Guinan. I get to see two different cues. They're both wonderful individually and together. Some of the best stuff with Jordy and Data that we've seen yet. So yay, eight and a half. All right, Greg. What about you? I am going to give it uh, nine Betazoid fork wounds. Uh, those spines definitely hurt very much uh, in Q when he feels human. 
this is a wonderful episode. It feels like a Noel Coward play or something like that with the amount of witty repartee back and forth. It always feels like Picard and Q and even Data and the other characters are all trying to talk really fast. It kind of feels almost like the way Marvelous Miss Maisel does now and how it's it's directed just to be like, go as fast as you can and have those back and forth, uh, you know, never let the audience think kind of things. We, we skipped over one scene that I just really, really love, but I wanted to note here because Q walking around the turbo lift, trying to talk about mm. all the different parts of humanity. That's right. feels very theatrical and, and, and wonderful and it ends on him like, you know, toe-to-toe with Worf who's right. like, you know, Saying that he was a a Klingon. A Klingon at heart. We're brothers. (laughs) And then as my fellow Klingons, he can't help but go too far. (laughs) It's crazy. So having all these wonderful moments with all these characters, with someone that you knew, like the audience, like again, the audience was aware that this was going to be a Q episode and they looked forward to it. And I think it delivered on almost every a uh, bit of it. Uh, John DeLancey uh, elevates this performance to another kind of level with how he uh, deals with his loss of omnipotence and still has that attitude and it works really uh, well. And I think, it, you know, I, I agree with everyone saying here that it, that it ending with him still being a villain and still preserving the status quo um, feels right in this, in this instance. And I want to see more of Q like, so like with a guest star uh, thing, you're like, ah, this is the fourth one. Even if it is the fifth, you're like, ah, it's tired. I don't want to see anymore. But no, this episode does makes me more invigorated to see how they're going to react to this character in the future. And so it's great. Watch it. All right, Kate. I'm going to give this one eight and a half asshole shaped mouths. <laughs> <laughs> And it's for all of the reasons everyone has already said. I just fucking love this episode. It's great. Uh, we're introduced to two new alien, uh, uh, you know, races, and uh, one of which will I can't unsee, and the other which, uh, you know, is just such a cool concept. Uh, whether it was made because of budgetary constraints or or whatever, uh, I love what they did with it. I think, like Greg said, anytime you get you know, Delancey and, and, uh, and Whoopi together. Like I'm, I'm in, it's just a great episode and it's throw a little Corbin Burnson in there and you know what? Fuck it. It's a nine. It's a nine. Wow. She talked herself up a half a score. I forgot people. about Corbin, the Benson right? Benson bump. The Benson bump. The Benson bump. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm going to give it eight and a half stolen shuttlecraft for all the reasons that you guys said. It's just fun. It's a funny, fun. But isn't eight and a half stolen shuttlecraft nine stolen shuttlecraft? <laughs> Not in my world. It's, a, it's okay. really, it's like hitting. I mean, that, I guess you can fence half a shuttlecraft. It's hitting that force field and keeps bumping back. It's close. I'm trying to give it the Burnson bump by interrupting. <laughs> can't get there. So eight and a half stolen shuttles, uh, fun episode. It's great to see them uh, come up with a way to make that character fresh. Uh, But there's, I can't add anything that hasn't already been said. We will see you next week. Got some great guest stars coming up, so stay tuned uh, to to check them out in the next in the next three four weeks coming up. So I'll leave it at that. Um, I'm gonna go change my underwear because I wet my pants. Bye everybody. I'm Jimmy G. For the rest of the crew, safe travels. Mm -hmm.
appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 